So I'm really excited about this podcast episode. We're talking about financial freedom, being able to set yourself up to where you, know, you can live the life that you want to live in your later years in life and, and hopefully in your earlier years of life as well. And today's guest is Justin Brammer, who is a financial advisor with Invest. And uh, I know Justin personally because he's my money manager. He's the guy who who helps me with with my money. And uh, you know, he works with a lot of dental uh, owners and, and just dentists in general. And I thought, you know, what better resource to bring to the show than and have him on and, and really share some insights with everything we have going on with student loans continuing to increase, you know, inflation and all of these things. People are like, what do I even do with my money? Do I save? Do I invest? Hopefully we'll be able to answer some of those questions for you today. But Justin, uh, thank you so much for joining us here. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. So, I mean, let's kick it off first with a little bit about how you got into the dental space, because I know you work with a lot of dental um, professionals, and that's been one of the big areas that's been a focus of yours. How did you fall into this crazy world of dentistry? Sure. That's a great question. So I've been uh, a financial advisor for going on 10 years. And so I would say it was early on in my career. We were at, uh, I was at a different firm and uh, kind of the lead advisors took me under their wing, we went to one of those dinners they were putting on for, for the local uh, dental school here in town. And I went to it, met a lot of neat people, great people, built relationships. And the first, um, my first, I'd say exposure to the, to the dental field, the dentistry field was um, with, a, with a dentist, just graduated. And he had, I think it was $650,000 in student loan debt, uh, which absolutely blew my mind. Like I was coming out of school, got a business degree, thankfully didn't have any student loan debt. Meet this guy early on, he had over a half a million dollars of student loan debt. Now come to find out that that's not very unusual <laughs> for a dentist to have, but I would say when when I was interacting with these, with these young dentists and just understanding the struggles that they were having and having very little clue of what direction they needed to go. And they're dealing with these big numbers and just the, the sense of relief that I was able to bring of like kind of calming them down, helping them understand that like, it is what it is. You made an investment in yourself. Now let's make the best of it moving forward. I would say that that just within the first several months, first year of being in this field, being an advisor and understanding the true impact that I could potentially make on these people, uh, that, that was enough to really give me that long-term desire. And here we are 10 years later and the number of dentists I'm working with just keeps growing. They're all across the country. Um, so I, I would say that probably t about 10 years ago is where all that started. Yeah, that's and that's about the same timeline for, you know, me as well and, you know, I think that's a good spot for us to jump right into is student loans. It's the big talking point, you know, in all the dental groups that I'm in, that you're in, and rightfully so, student um that you know, the tuition continues to increase over the years. There's obviously concerns about cost of dental schools increasing, but, you know, insurance, you know, reimbursements for practice owners is not increasing and keeping up at the time. So there's like this gap that is continuing to shrink. And I think that a lot of times people, when they have half a million dollars in student loan debt or more, 
they really let that dictate what their you know future looks like and investments and what they can invest, can't invest, uh, so on. How do dentists not let student loan bog them down from really creating wealth for the future? Sure, I I totally get it, and and this is where probably one some of my first conversations about this with with dentists is just helping helping them understand that the, the sum of money that that they borrowed for dental school it truly was an investment in themselves. Now we can get into the the political side of things. We can get into the unfairness of tuition increasing and everything. But when you, when it comes down to it, they they took out the loans they did. They had a passion for dentistry. That's the field they wanted to get in. So so really just kind of laying the groundwork and getting to the point where it's not a, a situation of guilt. It's not a situation of like, ah, I took out these loans, like I'm in, I'm in jail until I can get them paid off. There's so many opportunities that exist out there. Once you can free yourself of that, that kind of that mental state of having that burden, and I'm not discounting the fact that it's, it's a large number, but once you can free yourself of that, understanding what all the different opportunities out there that, that exist and wrapping your mind about what the long-term benefits of pursuing one or all of those opportunities far outweighs whatever some of your student loan balances may be it is truly freeing, I think. And, and that's, that's the feeling that I get when I'm having these conversations is getting to the point where we can start to see that long-term potential. You're, you're not going to get out of student loans overnight. You're not going to pay them off two years out of dental school more than likely, but it's understanding the bigger picture, understanding those different opportunities that present themselves and understanding how it is do we weigh and measure this opportunity versus that opportunity. And then how do we execute on, okay, yes, I have these student loans, but I can go buy that practice or I can be an associate for a few years and that's okay. But it's where a lot of people I have found start to get tripped up is just understanding what what are those opportunities what can they be doing to better themselves and set themselves up for long-term success regardless of the stage of their career that they may be yeah and i was having the same conversation with uh somebody from ducket lad cpas out in uh, missouri and they work with a lot of dental practices and that was one of the questions i had asked that i hear a lot is if I have all these student loan debts, is that going to stop me from acquiring a practice or starting up a practice? And they had said, you know, actually, you know, no, it, it, it won't because, you know, banks typically expect you to have student loan debt uh, with that. And so what has been your experience there, Justin, in seeing people who come out with the student loan debt and are, have they been able to you know, get funding okay? Do they have issues with that? Is it banks just want to see that they have a plan? What's from your perspective, some of the things you've seen there? Sure, yeah. Um, there's a reason why banks give such favorable terms to dentists. <laughs> uh, it's because typically they're great borrowers. And, and that's for a reason. Is, um, is it perfect? No. But is dentistry in and of itself a fairly predictable, stable line of businesses that, that banks want to get involved in? Yes, um, it is. And that's for a reason. Um, 
and so I had a conversation just the other day um, with the dentist who I started working with three, four years ago. And he started the conversation by thanking me. And I was like, like, what are you talking about? And he's like, thank you for not encouraging the way that I wanted to go straight out of dental school. And that was, he wanted to pay, he had his plan all mapped out and I, I admired it that the fact that he did it, but his, his plan was to get rid of those student loans as soon as he possibly could straight out of dental school, which that's not a bad thing. But for him, he came in, he wanted to buy dental practice in three, four years out of dental school. So I had to kind of calm him down, help him understand we can't pay down your student loans and, and pursue the, the career um, path that he wanted to by buying a dental practice, both of those simultaneously. So he was thanking me saying like, Justin, thank you for not encouraging me to, to go the student loan route. No one knew that student loans have been paused the last three years, but um, it, it, it wouldn't have worked for him to do both of those at the same time. So it, it was, it was just helping him understand like, okay, these are your goals. Now here's, here's the different paths that you can go down to help you accomplish those goals. And so uh, what I find when it comes to like practice acquisition is, okay, if we want to go down that route, we, we need to be laying the groundwork to make sure that that comes to fruition and becomes a reality when we want it to, is not everyone um, can necessarily lay out that groundwork um, efficiently when they're, when they're trying to balance all those different things at the same time. Yeah. And you mentioned a good point about, you know, dentists being good borrowers. And that's something that within this industry, we're really blessed about. And and a good example of that was, you know, COVID when the COVID shutdowns happened, obviously everybody was impacted by that. But from our experience, dentistry came back stronger than ever. Like I remember those first few months practices were just, you know, packed with patients versus if you look at other industries like, you know, hospitality, restaurants, they didn't have that same luxury so there's more of a, uh, I guess, uh, safety net there maybe is maybe a good way to put that when it comes to dentistry. Now, the other part of this that I'm you know, interested in hearing about is when a, a student graduates dental school, let's say they're in their late 20s or so, maybe they're wanting to work as an associate for a few years, maybe then go on to practice ownership. When is the best time for somebody straight out of dental school to start investing and, and diversifying, you know, some of that, uh, you know, cash that they're going to be making at their first job. Sure. Um, so a lot of my clients will laugh when I say this, but the short answer to that question is it depends. <laughs> uh, but probably the most broad question I, the broad, most broad answer I could give was as soon as possible. Um, what I find is dentists specifically get targeted right out of dental school by everybody. Hey, you need to buy this. You need to invest in this. You need to do this. And some of them are legitimate. Others are not. But in terms of like setting yourself up for if practice acquisition is the path that you're wanting to go, I would say the simplest advice I could give, it sounds really simple, but in practice, it's not as easy as it may sound, is like just getting financially organized right out of the gate. So understanding like, what all do you have? Like early in your careers, the simplest life is going to ever be financially. And if you can get perfectly organized then and then grow with it and build upon that, I mean, your life is going to be so much simpler to make those 
pivoting decisions as opposed to when you're, you're not organized and a, a practice an opportunity comes up to acquire practice and you're not organized, you don't know how that decision is going to affect everything else. It, it can be pretty tricky if, if you're trying to, to balance everything career-wise, personal, and, and make a decision kind of on the move. It, it can be tricky. But in terms of diversification, um, the sooner the better is making sure that you're not overexposed in one area. Um, like for instance, if, if real estate was your passion and everything was positioned in real estate and then a practice comes, an opportunity comes up to buy a practice, like real estate's not that liquid and getting capital and positioning yourself accordingly might be a little bit more difficult, not impossible, but that that's just an example of, okay, if you like real estate, do that, but not let it be the main thing that's, <clears throat> that's controlling you and preventing you from making advancements in other places. So, um, usually right out of dental school is the best time to do that because most people don't have the resources to to put to all the different opportunities out there. But when you start small and simple, you can grow as those other opportunities grow. Let me ask this as kind of a follow-up. I think sometimes people fall guilty to, you know, after you've been in school for so long, you finally, you know, get out, you start making a little bit of money. Uh, you know, investing sometimes can get put on the back burner because people think, oh, you know, I'm young, right? I've got time, which, you know, we could go all into compounding interest and, and go into that too. But uh, one thing that I was talking with someone and they cautioned dentists out of dental school is don't get, you know, too aggressive right away on buying that, you know, big house that you've always wanted or that fancy, you know, Mercedes that you've always wanted. Uh are there any, and again, I know it always depends, each individual is different, but any uh, advice that you give your clients on, listen, if, if you are going to you know, buy a house, uh, is there a certain percentage of what that monthly mortgage payment should be of your total household income? Or what are some factors there that if somebody is going to do that, what they should really look at is that threshold? That's a great question. Uh, and I feel like this one universally applies to the majority of people. So specifically on the house um, house front is I like to see the payment cap of your principal and interest payment on a mortgage be no more than 15 to 20% of your household income. Now I'll have people come to me and say, well, my lender said I could afford this size house and that's double what you're telling me. And I'm like, yes, just think about it. Like, they're there to get you the max. <laughs> Lenders are not bad people, but they're trying to sell you a house. The more you buy, the more they make, right? And I'm not, I'm not making painting anyone to be bad in this situation, but yeah. they don't understand the bigger picture. They don't understand necessarily what your long-term goals are, everything else you're trying to accomplish. Typically, I do. And so that's where if we can limit the amount of expenditure on our house specifically, because that's typically a mortgage payments, one of your bigger monthly recurring expenses is if we can cap it at 15 to 20% and the bank is telling you, you can afford like 35 to 40% of your income going toward a mortgage. You're going to have so much more discretionary cap, <clears throat> excuse me, cash flow to be able to reallocate to other places. Um, and so, yeah, we establish rules just like that across as many areas of your life as we can. Um, similar to savings is um, people come to me like, hey, 
can I afford to buy this? My Usually my question that comes back to them is, can you still maintain your healthy amount of investing and savings each month? Not let that be compromised and still go do that deal. Um, that That's the simplest but most straightforward answer I can give without like diving into the numbers is, oh, you want to go buy that $100,000 boat? Well, can you keep saving and investing 15 to 20% of your income and still go do that? Well, if you can't, usually the answer is, is pretty clear. Um, but yeah, if getting, getting to the point where you're saving and investing 15 to 20% of your income is another one of those really healthy rules that just by nature, dentists are already getting a later start to the wealth accumulation game than most people. Usually they're starting late twenties, maybe early thirties, depending. Um, whereas most, most other people, they're able to start early 20s so that they may have a four, five, six, seven year delay to that wealth accumulation phase of life. So just by nature, if, if other people are able to start investing 15%, maybe a dentist might need to be starting closer to that 20% benchmark, depending on what their goals are. Um, but those are just a few of the like general healthy rules of thumb that if you can live by those, you're greatly increasing your chances of long-term success by establishing those boundaries and maintaining them throughout your working career. Yeah. And when you mentioned like savings, that's something that everybody has a slightly different answer to. And depending on their situation, you know, some people might want to have three months of, of cash in their savings account. Some people may want to have six months of cash, whatever the case is. Um, is there any, or how do you talk through that with your clients to figure out what that number is? So that way their money isn't just sitting in the bank and, you know, basically getting no returns on it. Point nothing. <laughs> Point nothing. <percent>. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, so a lot of people I meet, they have that number in the back of their mind that they say, Justin, if I have less than this, like it's keeping me up at night. Mm -hmm. And so kind of at that point in time, like rules of thumb kind of go out the window is I, I have a, a good balance between like the math side of these equations and then just the rea reality of life side of things. Um, so if, if you don't have what that number is already in the back of your mind, there's some variables that play into it. Um, some of which are how predictable is your income? So like if you're a salary, just regular income coming in and you don't have that number in the back of your mind, maybe closer to that three months of living expenses, that may cut it. Like that, that may be perfectly fine. You may have resources elsewhere that you could tap into if you start to jeopardize that three months of living expenses in reserves. If you're more on the, the variable income side of things, month to month, it's changing, it's really high some months, really low some months, and then probably six to 12 months of capital set aside in a savings account, money market account might make a lot more sense because you, you might, there's a higher likelihood that you might have to tap into it more often. Um, but what I found is that our practice is set up so that on those incomes that do fluctuate, we level it out as much as possible. So we essentially set them up on a recurring salary that we'll send them a paycheck each month, regardless of what their income is. So if it's a low month, but they had a few good months before that, 
great. We'll send them the same paycheck and take it from the buffer and put it to use and send them that paycheck. And it, it levelizes and normalizes really what they're used to from a cash flow perspective, which for most brings about a, a good sense of security by having a more predictable um, cash flow situation. But I, to, the short answer is there's, there's not like one set hard, fast rule that applies to everybody. Uh, I would say, do you have that number that with less than that number, you're freaking out, you can't sleep at night. Okay. That's your number. If you don't have it, if you have a fairly stable income, maybe dual income, maybe close to three months of fixed living expenses, checks the boxes, that's plenty. But if, if you're more on the variable nature side of things, maybe six to 12 months of living expenses set aside so that you can get it if you need it, that, that may be the more appropriate route to go. Yeah. So know, know what that number is, what makes you, know, you the most comfortable. So then you can work with you know, your financial advisor and figure out how you can put the rest of that to work, which brings me to my next question, which is where is a good place right now? As we talked about you know, your general savings account, it's not going to make you any money at all. If somebody is looking to put some money aside, maybe they don't need it right now, um, but they want to you know, get as much of a return on that money as possible, but still be able to potentially tap into it a year down the road, two years down the road. What are some options that right now, Justin, that you're having some of your clients look into? Sure. Yeah. So the one that I'm turning to a lot nowadays is uh, a money market account. It is, there's no risk on it. The, the rates can change internally inside the account. Um, but your the account value will never go down. So currently there's a lot of those that are around 5%, a little more, a little less. Um, that's been the good side of interest rates going up is that you're finally getting yield on no risk assets, which is, a is a different, definite change from where we were the last several years, but money markets can be good. If you have a fairly predictable, uh, runway of when you'll need those assets, CDs could make sense. Um, CDs aren't quite as accessible as a money market account. So a money market account, you can turn and pull it out tomorrow if you wanted to. CDs have a little bit more um, tape around it, so you can't get it as easily depending on the length of the CD. So like a nine month, 11 month, things like that. Right. But if we're, if we're talking um, large amounts of money, and that can mean different, different things to different people, uh, if we're talking even larger sums, um, there, there can be other options. T-bills could make sense, but we're talking fairly small percentages. So that's why I said, if it's a large amount of money, make sure you're exploring all your options. So you do get the best rate. But if we're talking smaller sums, maybe twenty, thirty thousand $30,000, the difference between 4.9 and 5%, you can do the math. It's not that great. <laughs> and those rates are going to change frequently anyway. So, um, find the one that works the best for you for what different goals that you have. Um, but those are just some of the different options that are out, out there right now. But I can tell you your savings account at, at your favorite bank or institution is probably not going to touch what money markets and CDs are currently yielding. So um, take that for what it's worth. <laughs> All right. So yeah, those are great options to look at. If, if you need some money, you know, park to the side, uh, you know, 
at least make some money on it. That's that's what, at the end of the day, give yourself the highest return possible while you're doing that. Uh, something that I think we that needs to be discussed too, Justin, is for those who are looking at, you know, 20 years down the road, potentially you know, looking at retirement, you know, first thing people go to usually is, you know, if they've got a 401k, investing in that 401k, um, but then outside of that, I know one thing that I've really liked personally working with you is you've brought up a lot of different options where we can diversify that money, have a 401k, uh, get into some real estate, you know, some other things. Can you talk a little bit about that and how you walk your clients through making sure they're they're well-rounded in their investments? Absolutely. So when it comes, I focus so much on cash flow because that's king. That's paramount. That's the most important one of the more important things, but when it comes to actively investing and saving is first thing, just make sure your plain vanilla savings account, emergency fund, whatever you may call it that we just talked about, make sure that's funded. Um, after that, in terms of opportunities, uh, if you have an opportunity to take advantage of free money, 401k, um, 403b, whatever that may look like, take the free money. Uh, a lot of employers offer that, um, little plug, that's something else that we do. And we happen to help manage lots of 401k plans for dentist offices. Um, and there's, there's many opportunities there, especially on the ownership side, but just as an employee is if there is free money on the table, that that's hard to pass up, but make sure that emergency fund is funded. Um, but once you've tapped into the 401k side of things and you're looking to save that 15 to 20% on top of that, uh, kind of what I call the freedom bucket would be like a brokerage account. Um, you don't get the tax advantages inside a brokerage account that you do like a 401k or an IRA or a simple, but what you do get is the freedom that a brokerage account brings because it's, it's liquid, it's available. Um, if you're going to acquire a practice, banks look at whatever money's in a brokerage account, brokerage account equally to what is in your savings account. It's liquid. It's accessible. There's no penalty to pull it out. Um, so that is one of my um, favorite buckets to help people save into and invest in because it, it is what helps accelerate that the wealth accumulation and growing of wealth phase of things because you can use it for lots of different opportunities. Say, um, Shane, I know we talked real estate not too long ago. That, that's an area that we can help clients get into is when a opportunity makes sense and it fits within the picture of what it is that you're trying to create in the future that you're trying to create, real estate's a great thing, um, but it has to make sense. Is I know real estate's kind of that buzzword right now. Everybody wants to get into it, but a lot of people don't know how to get into it or how do you, how do you judge this deal versus this one? And which one makes more sense? Which one has better terms? Those are all things that we walk people through. Um, investing in businesses. So we, we have the opportunity several times a year to get into different private equity deals. So we had a, a big 26-story office building down south of here that, that we were able to invest in, pulled clients' money into, and um, has great potential. There's there's other opportunities here around town that we've been in all across the country. And that's where that diversification piece comes in. You can't be jumping at all these just right out of the gate. Like real estate more than likely shouldn't be your first 
investment dollars <laughs> before you've established anything else, right? It, it needs to come in phases. But once you're to the point where you have that predictable cash flow, you have that the the um, business that's producing that healthy income, and you you can start taking advantage of those opportunities. That's where we partner with our clients and help them establish a game plan of how do we most efficiently tap into all these different things that you look on social media, it looks like everybody's doing it, right? <laughs> but there's, it's, it's hard to, to vet it and understand how that opportunity plays into your personal situation. And so you get the emergency fund going, you get your 401k, 403b. Um, we talked, haven't talked about HSAs, but that's another uh, bucket that you can be dripping money into, get the tax benefits of doing that. You get the brokerage account going, and then when the opportunity pre presents itself, uh, a lot of people aren't familiar with the idea of um, borrowing and doing a line of credit on like a brokerage account. This is not advice in telling you to go do this. <laughs> Compliance department, you'll thank me later. Yeah, put the put um, the graphic here at the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> right, but it, it is a thing, and it can be a very powerful thing when done responsibly. Is just like a home equity line of credit exists. If there's equity in your home, you can borrow against it and go do something with that equity. If you have a brokerage account, there's banks that will give you access to it without you selling out of those positions. And you can get a line of credit on that brokerage account, go do another revenue generating cash flow producing deal. And now you got your investment account growing in the market and you have all these other opportunities potentially doing the same thing. So now your dollars are doing multiple things at one time instead of just putting $1 here, $1 here, and those have one goal and one objective. But if we can multiply that, that's how you accelerate that wealth creation. Yeah, 100%. And as we wrap up here today, you know, I think one little kind of like um, final fire I'm going to give you here and, and have you kind of answer a couple of questions is right now, if somebody is looking at, let's say if they're in there, you know, between 35 and 40 years old, somewhere in that ballpark. And they've got a consistent, you know, income coming in. They've got a 401k that they max out every year. Uh, they got a good savings amount, you know, built up. What are maybe what's like one or two options where you're thinking again, not financial advice without reviewing people's, you know, situation, but what are some uh, pieces there that you think, you know, people should really be looking into here in 2023 going into 2024? Definitely is, the, the opportunities that present themselves to a fairly, a, a smaller demographic of people could be those private equity type deals, those real estate deals to where when the, when the opportunity, I mean, just like investing in anything is not guaranteed. These are not guaranteed, but the, the, the measuring of risk is different on these because the risk is different than buying 500 stocks in a mutual fund or whatever. Yeah. But when you're to the point in your journey to where you can afford to take these different amounts of risk and you, you have plenty of other assets spread out across different types of other opportunities, I, I'm a big fan these days of getting into a, a business deal to where it's going to a fairly predictable track record. Um, and it's not just your, your friend next door who wants to buy a house down the street and he's going to rent it out not saying that's bad, but getting into these more um, 
these more commercial type opportunities to where if you're an accredited investor, you have the assets, your net worth, you check their boxes of that. Um, real estate and investing in businesses that produce cash flow, th- those are um, those those have great potential, and it, it's just another spoke on the wheel again of of generating wealth is you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket you don't want to put all your eggs into real estate you don't want to put all your eggs into even a a dental practice right but if you can spread out your resources and assets across different opportunities those are those are some of the ones that when i'm meeting people that they're wanting to get into it's just partnering with somebody that knows more about it that can position them and actually facilitate the process of getting them plugged in so what you're saying, Justin, is don't wait around and go 100% on GameStop to to soar to the moon, right? <laughs> yes. Maybe Dogecoin. No, I'm just kidding. Doge. <laughs> yeah. No. One thing is funny, I, I'm going to joke around about crypto uh, just for a minute here, uh, just because I feel like you have to. And uh, I know I'm not the only one who notices this, but I have like certain people that you know, I'm friends with on Facebook and stuff. And you know, Bitcoin will be, I mean, down 90% on the year, but it'll have like one day where it jumps like 8% and people will be like, Bitcoin is back surging at 8%. You got to get it. And I'm just wondering, like, what is your overall position and how down are you? Because right now it's up eight, but I didn't hear anything about the days it was down 20, 10, five. Right. So I always just get a kick out of those. It, it's it's humorous. I had someone that I met with, I think this was probably during the 2021 time frame of they came to me saying like, ah, I don't want to take a lot of risk. I'm kind of risk averse. I don't want to put my um, my dollars at great risk. But what about Bitcoin? Do you think I should get in Bitcoin? I'm like, <laughs> those are two opposite ends of the spectrum. <laughs> like, Let's understand what it is that you're wanting to get into. And clearly you've been reading news, social media, whatever. But it's like you have to understand kind of the, the fundamentals before we execute on something like that. (laughs) That's like, I want the safest possible Super Bowl future bet that I can put. And I think I'm looking into the Houston Texans for 2023, 2024. And we're like, eh, opposite ends there. (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, first, Justin, before we uh, get off this, you know, you've provided just a ton of value to me and my family and, you know, many mutual clients that that we have as well. Uh, People are listening to this and and they're saying, you know, hey, I'd like to reach out and and talk with Justin and see if he can kind of analyze my situation. Uh, What's the best way that people can get in contact with you? Sure. So uh, my website is bramerfinancial.com, B-R-A-M-M-E-R financial.com. I'm also uh, pretty active on Facebook. I have a business Facebook page. So if you just search for my name, Justin Bramer, you'll come across me there and there's multiple opportunities and links um, to go in there, schedule a meeting. Um, and, and if any of this sounds of interest to anyone that is listening, my first conversation with people, we call our icebreaker meeting. And because it is just that it's just, you get to know us, we get to know you um, and decide from there whether or not it makes sense to work together. So um, yeah, that's my website, social media. Feel free to reach out. Yeah, definitely go follow his, his Facebook page. You put a lot of helpful uh, advice and different insights and tips on there. And I've, I've always really enjoyed those. So uh, definitely give him a follow, reach out to him. We'll put the links in the show notes below so you can access those as well. And uh, Justin, thank you so much again for joining us. And um, 
thank you for everything that you're doing for the dental community, for, for my family. And uh, we look forward to uh, chatting with you again in the future. Thanks, Shane.